Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. This hour, we're going to take stock of food insecurity in the state in light of some recent changes. Now, two years ago, Food Benefits through SNAP, that's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as food stamps, increased dramatically. Back then, the federal government allowed recipients to receive the maximum allotment for their household size during the pandemic. But earlier this year, that extra food assistance ended. On top of that, we've all been experiencing inflation. Now, prices rising for just about everything, including food, of course. And this has forced many among us to make increasingly difficult choices. So this hour, we explore what the loss of those extra SNAP benefits and higher inflations uh, mean for Iowans already struggling to pay for food. Later in the hour, we'll get a view from the head of a food pantry in Des Moines, But first, let's get to know a couple of Iowans this first half hour who are having a tough time making ends meet. You can join us, uh, listeners, as well. If this rings a bell with you, if you want to contribute to this conversation, you find yourself in this situation struggling to make ends meet. 1-866-780-9100. 1-866-780-9100. Let's meet Tara Kramer. Uh, Tara lives in downtown Des Moines. Welcome to our program. Having me. Hi. Uh, tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself. Acquaint, uh, acquaint us with yourself. Uh, let's see. I am 45 years old. I live with my rescue cat, Busy, and I am medically retired. So I spend a lot of my time um, upcycling, making old things new, um, beating. <laughs> uh huh. So, so uh, medically retired, help us understand your disability. Thank you. Uh, Yes, I have been in the workforce since I was 14 years old and worked until I was in my late 20s. And there was one day where I went to go stand up from my desk and was able to stand up on my own. So a coworker had to carry me to my car. And I went to the ER and was uh, diagnosed with degenerative disc disease. I started doing physical therapy and filled out because my body couldn't handle Uh, even the simplest moves, and uh, I was later diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder that was nonspecific, and um, I lost the ability to work because of my overall chronic pain, and all of my joints are prone to dislocations and subluxations. Mm -hmm. So I was finally given the proper diagnosis of having hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome in 2014. Mm -hmm. And how many years ago was that diagnosis? Uh, I originally went on a leave of absence from my job in 2006. So I was misdiagnosed. Actually, they theorized they were treating me with lupus um, from 2006 until 2013. And then they realized that something bigger was going on. Yeah. So a considerable disability. Uh, Give us a picture. Help us understand more about how that creates extra challenges in your life. Absolutely. Um, I I tell people that I am a full-time caretaker of a person with a disability, and that person happens to be me. Mm. Um, Because of my chronic fatigue, and again, 
joints that can dislocate very easily. Something as innocuous as just taking a shower is an hour-long event for me. I have a shower bench. I live in ADA housing um, to help me stand up and maneuver around my apartment. And um, so it, it, it's just very complex. Um, in addition to the musculoskeletal issues, I have neurological issues. I will have um, seizure-like episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am losing my vision. I'm losing my hearing. So um, it's, a, it's a dynamic disability for sure. Well, you, you've certainly been dealt a hand with a lot of challenges here. Mm. Um, it, it, tell us more about how you support yourself financially. <laughs> Uh, Financially, I support myself. My sole income has been Social Security disability since 2010. And um, I applied for SNAP benefits in 2013. Um, So those have been my two sources of income. Mm-hmm. Take us through um, what happened uh, prior to the pandemic, the level of support you had in so 2019, heading up into early 2020 when we know the pandemic hit, and, and what happened uh, in those years uh, with the level of support you were given. Sure. Prior to the pandemic, I was receiving uh, $16 in SNAP benefits when we got the emergency proclamation uh, approximately 24 months ago. My benefit increased to $250 per month, and my quality of life significantly improved at that point because I was able to put the $250 directly towards food, and I would be able to have access to more whole foods, more nutritious foods, foods that um, that read friendly to my numerous sensitivities and disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I didn't have to use any of my own social security check for food, that, that money was freed up so that I could pay co-payments to see my doctors. I could afford, uh, prescriptions. Um, I also use homeopathic medicine, which can get expensive. And I was able to afford that. And, um, my doctors were delighted that all of my numbers uh, were looking so good as far as testing my blood and and testing my other symptoms. They really thought that um, my my health had improved because I was eating better. Mm -hmm. And tell us what happened earlier this year. Was it in March uh, that this extra assistance disappeared? It expired? It vaporized and it uh, really, really changed my life. I was notified through a postcard um, that wasn't even like on thick paper. So I'm really glad that I was able to find it because most of my neighbors didn't see a notice at all. But we didn't get that notice until after the 1st of March. So some people had already gone grocery shopping uh, for the month, not knowing, not being able to be prepared for the following month for that that cliff. Um to fall off. So I I was part of that group and I just understood, okay, in three weeks, your life is going to go back to the way it was pre-pandemic. And uh, my my anxiety has been very high since then. Yeah. Yeah. So, so give us a, a sense uh, of, of what kind of difficult choices you have to make now that you've um, gone back to what it was pre-pandemic without these uh, this extra assistance. Uh, can you give us a, a concrete 
uh, so sort of a dilemma that you face on a daily or weekly basis, a choice you have to make with the very limited monies you have? Uh, the very first thing that comes to mind is not using my vehicle much anymore. Um, I'm driving on bald tires. I was planning on getting new tires in April, but because of the uh, reduction in SNAP benefits, that wasn't allowed to happen. I cannot afford the gas to put in my tank. So if there's a specialist that I need to see out in Clive or in Waukee, such as this afternoon, um, sometimes I have to stack doctor appointments so that I'm seeing two or three doctors in the same area of town, which is exhausting, um, or I cancel doctor appointments altogether. Mm. Uh, this hour, if you just joined us, we're exploring the loss of extra SNAP benefits uh, that happened during the pandemic, also higher inflation. What this means for Iowans who've already uh, struggled to, to pay for necessities for food, mostly one eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred. Tara Kramer describing um, what it's been like the last couple of years. She lives in downtown Des Moines, and uh, she described her disability as well as what she's been through the last two years and the difference that those extra benefits have made. Uh, Tara, let's uh, also invite uh, one of our listeners calling in from Eldon. Beth is with us. Hi, Beth. Hi. I, I'm, now I feel lucky compared to Tara. Um, <laughs> I have similar challenges, but uh, the benefit now after the extra pandemic assistance that I get is equivalent to $27 a week, which breaks down to about a dollar twenty-eight a meal, um, and so my question is: Could you live on twenty-seven dollars a week for food as one person mm-hmm. per person? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was my question to my congressman and the president when I wrote them. <laughs> Right, Beth, perhaps you can answer, first of all, for those of us who do find that hard to imagine, how do you make do with that little money in Eldon? Well, the fact is that I was able to stock up on on some pantry items that were more healthy um, when I had the extra assistance, so I'm still living off that. And um, because of my challenges, much easier for me to, um, you know, cook a, a large batch of soup or something like that. So I have um, frozen stock in the uh, freezer um, still left. I haven't gone through all of that since the changes either. So that's how I'm doing, dealing with it right now. Mm-hmm. But um, much less, you know, fresh, healthy food um, compared to before, too. That was a real bonus for me and my health. And and, 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 we had the and and Beth, do you find that your your overall well being, your your stress has gone up too, uh, with the loss of these benefits? That they, uh, we're hearing from Tara, they they go hand in hand. Of course, if you you can't eat a, a good diet, enough of a good diet, um, uh, and worry about paying bills, um, uh, worry about making ends meet, your 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 mental health deteriorates. Has that happened with you, Beth? Not my mental health, but just the stressors have. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it tends to have more of a, a physical effect on my medical issues. Um, and um, I'm dealing with the similar thing of, you know, uh, rounding up appointments on same days and then having to rest for a day or two afterwards because it's so stressful. Just going through all that with um, 
car trips, you know, gas and yep. everything else. Uh, Tara, there in 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 Des Moines, uh, what do you think of, of Beth's story? There is sounds very similar in many ways. Absolutely. Hi, Beth. Thanks for calling in, and I'm so sorry that this is affecting you as well. Um, I I don't even make twenty eight dollars a week. Um, I. I think I failed to mention that earlier, but after the pandemic, I'm now getting $20 per week. So to break that down for the listeners, oh, I'm sorry, it's $20 per month. So to break that down yeah, to listeners, yeah, that would be I said I felt, $5 per that's week. Why I said I felt lucky compared to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, I'm getting 22 cents to put towards every meal. So um, I believe you had asked how somebody survives on that type of budget. Lots of tuna fish. Lots of tuna fish. I'm not going to lie. I get two cans of tuna fish. I drain them. I put a little sauce in it and grind up some pickles and put it on chips. And that has been my lunch for the past two months. Yeah. And and the awareness of this in Iowa is probably pretty low, Tara. People listening to this are are probably quite shocked to find that that people are living on $20, $30 a month, Tara. Mm -hmm. can Can you tell us... I mean, do you have contact with a lot of other people in a in a similar situation or uh yeah, I actually live in low income housing and so you um you you talk with each other, talk about how you get by remedies um how to get by in a very small budget you know we do, and this is a topic that I was afraid would come up at it some point because the answer I have for that is actually pretty shocking. Um, People have become extremely desperate on trying to find ways to make ends meet. So people are getting jobs on the low. Um, There are many elderly people in my building who are engaging in sex work in exchange for food. And for money, um, the theft rate has gone up significantly as well, petty theft. So, um, you know, people need to get their needs met, and a lot of people don't have the resources or capabilities to do that um, in a way that we would think would be acceptable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tara, what do you think would be the best remedies uh, for people in your situation? Get back that assistance, I imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would request for us to go back to having the maximum allotment with SNAP. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tara Kramer lives in Des Moines. Thank you for being so open, sharing your story so that we may understand uh, what it's like to make ends meet uh, on such a small budget. Tara, we, we thank you again and wish you all the very best in the future uh, with the significant challenges you face. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer exploring this hour. The loss of extra SNAP benefits, higher inflation, what that means for Iowans who were already struggling to pay for food Um, pre-pandemic. We'll hear from the head of a food pantry in Des Moines in our second half hour. But uh, let's talk to another Iowan. Uh, This is Cecilia Prophet uh, joining us by phone. Uh, Originally from uh, Seattle, I understand. Uh, You live with your husband now, and you have two young kids uh, living in in Iowa City, uh, where you've been living since 2019. Cecilia, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Tell us more about you, your family, um, and and the situation you find yourself in trying to make ends meet. 
Yeah, so my husband is a grad instructor at the University of Iowa. So he's a PhD student, and then he teaches freshman classes and rhetoric and things like that. And then we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So I'm home full time, you know, taking care of them and doing all the work that that involves. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the family life like during the pandemic compared to? Well, I guess you were here in August of 2019. Yeah. So take yeah. us take us through a similar narrative that we did uh, just a few moments ago with 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 Tara increased benefits and then the falling away of those benefits. Did you experience it in the same way? Yeah, yeah. So we first got on SNAP. We moved to Iowa City in August. We got on SNAP that fall um, because my husband makes about $20,000 a year as a teacher. Um, Yeah, I got on SNAP that fall. And then that spring, obviously, benefits went up when the pandemic came. So we were able to buy, you know, I had a one-year-old at that point. So we were able to buy fruits and vegetables, everything we needed. And that took care of our food budget through the pandemic. And then um, in April, when the governor, you know, decided to cut us off from those benefits, we've gone down to just over $500 a month. So now with a three-year-old and the one-year-old, we're back to saying, you know, no, we don't have enough milk. You have to wait a couple more days until next month. Or no, we can't have this, that, whatever. No, there's no seconds of dinner, you know, things like that that mm-hmm. are hard to explain to a three-year-old and to a one-year-old who don't have any sense of what's going on. Yeah, give us a, some some common meals that you are, are forced into having. Low budget meals. What do you what do you focus on? I mean, ramen noodles, <laughs> uh, peanut butter and jelly. We do use Wick. Um, those benefits have gone down as well, but we do use Wick, so we get lots of tuna fish, peanut butter, beans, um, lots of you know whatever you can buy in bulk, and then make try and last the whole week. Mm-hmm. Graham crackers, you know, things like that. Cecilia, your prophet now of Iowa City uh, with two young children, and she lives in Iowa City with her husband. Let's let's go to a caller from Iowa City, one 780 Ron is with us. Uh, Ron, welcome to the program. What's on your mind as we, we listen to um, these uh, these people struggling? Yeah, hi, Ben. I uh, just wanted to chime in. I uh, I volunteer at uh, the local food bank here in Iowa City. Uh, I'm very lucky. I've been very blessed that I don't need their services. But the folks that do, I'll tell you, the lines are getting longer. We're serving hundreds of families every week now. Um, people can only shop once a week, so they have to be really smart about what they shop for. Of course, everything is free, but... Uh, this cut in benefits has been horrible for families. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people are, are working full time. You know, they come from their jobs, still wearing their work uniforms at very recognizable businesses. And they, they aren't making enough money to keep their families fed. And so they come to the food bank. So I just wanted to point that out that these are hardworking people, you mm-hmm. know, and they are struggling, and it shouldn't shouldn't be this hard uh, for for families who want to work hard and have have a decent life with their families 
But uh, the government needs to, to look at their policies uh, in terms of these cuts. Yeah, uh, Ron, you, you for Iowa. well, thank you for, for for volunteering at your local food bank there in Iowa City, and for the service you do to the Iowa City area community. Can you tell us, Ron, quickly uh, what I don't know how long you've worked, you volunteered at the food bank. What's it been like the last two years? Have you noticed um, with the drop off of these benefits, the expiration of them earlier this year? It, it, does that sync up with more people uh, seeking the services, the the products from your food bank? Oh, absolutely, Ben. Absolutely. Yeah, you, I could. I saw it. I knew it was going to happen, and then just a few weeks after the cuts, just suddenly ballooning numbers. Um, people needed a lot more. People needed assistance, and uh, they are lining up. And again, we have tremendous support from local grocers. Uh, and other businesses, and uh, uh, that allows us to to have good products available. But it's boy, the numbers are really shocking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to say too, there's no shame in coming to a food bank for help. You got to feed your families, you know, yeah, feed, right. you, feed but, each other. That's what we're about, Ron. But I imagine you've seen the first time someone comes and needs to come is forced to come to a food bank. It's it's not easy getting over that hurdle to take help, is it? No, it's not. People, people, they're they're kind of embarrassed, maybe a little shamefaced about it. But I, I, our local food bank, the volunteers and staff are so welcoming, so upbeat. I've been working at uh, my my wife and I have been both volunteering for several years now, and I've met the just the best people volunteering as well as staff as well as folks that come in. I've I've made some good uh, some good friends with people. And these are good folks, and uh, there's no shame in coming in. We're here for you. Okay, Ron, we commend your work uh, there as a volunteer at the Food Bank in Iowa City. Uh, Ron, thanks for calling in. Hey, my pleasure, Ben. Thank you. Before we we say goodbye to you, Cecilia, um, uh, tell us a little bit about your outlook. Uh, What do you see in the weeks and months to come? The chief challenge is getting by on such a, a small income. Yeah, well, just to be clear, my understanding is this is a a state-level decision. This is the governor that decided the pandemic was over. There are still federal funds available, but the state is turning them down. And so if that could be reversed, that would change our family situation a lot. Otherwise, yeah, it's a lot of telling our kids, sorry, there's no seconds, right? There's, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. They they waste food, and and the stress of that is uh, taking a toll on our family and on our relationships. And so, I, I don't know. Cecilia, have you and your husband reached out to elected representatives to to um, yes. tell them? Yes, you have, and rec- yes, received frequently. a re- received a response. Kim Reynolds tells us to get back to work. My husband already works full time, and I work full time taking care of our kids, and we can't afford daycare, so that's not really an option for us, or for Tara, or for you know anyone else who's called in today. Cecilia Prophet of Iowa City, thank you so much. We have to go into a break. Thank you, Cecilia. We wish you all yeah. the best. Thank you for sharing your thank story. You. Yeah. Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. 
This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Two years ago, roughly, food benefits through SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as food stamps, increased dramatically because of the pandemic. But earlier this year, that extra food assistance went away. It expired. And so in our first half hour, if you were with us, we heard about the dramatic impact that can have on low-income households and individuals. And we have, of course, now on top of all that, the loss of that assistance, prices have been rising for just about everything, including food, of course, and forcing millions of um, those among us uh, to make increasingly difficult choices. Uh, If you uh, find yourself in that camp of people struggling to make ends meet, we'd like to hear from you this half hour. 1-866-780-9100. 1-866-780-9100. What do rising food costs, the end of additional pandemic-era food systems, mean uh, for you? Are you struggling to make ends meet? Uh, Let's uh, talk now with Christine Radek. She is a nutrition education program manager at Iowa State University Extension, uh, also uh, an outreach coordinator uh, uh, in charge of uh, focusing on SNAP education and the programs. Christine, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Ben. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about uh, SNAP, uh, your role in SNAP, what you do. Sure. So I coordinate a program through Iowa State University Extension and Outreach called SNAP Ed. Uh, It's the education arm of the SNAP program, and it's implemented all over the country. Uh, Every state does SNAP Ed, and we are one of two implementers here in Iowa. The Iowa Department of Public Health also does um, SNAP Ed work here. So essentially, we work to make healthy choices easier for Iowans who are participating in SNAP with, uh, you know, the end hope being that participants in SNAP in our state are able to make food choices that fit within their food budget, but are also uh, conducive to their health goals, their culture, and just the, you know, lifestyle realities of their families. Mm -hmm. Give us an idea of how many Iowans, Iowa families, do you know, rely on SNAP for food? So the number does move around a fair amount. Um, I haven't actually looked at the data for this month, so I would rather not give a specific number if possible, but um, often the number is in the 300,000. 300,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, these are federal monies uh, that are, are, are assisting Iowans? Yes. So SNAP is a federal program. It's implemented um, all over the country. Mm -hmm. And tell us about the rise in SNAP benefits uh, in conjunction with the start of the pandemic. Why was that? Why did that happen? And and why did those extra benefits disappear earlier this year? Yeah. So the allowances to increase SNAP benefits came with uh, waivers from USDA. So states could apply for the special allotments from USDA to increase SNAP benefits. And here in Iowa, that meant any Iowan who was um, eligible for SNAP would receive the maximum SNAP allotment for their household size. But that was only possible to request from USDA 
while there was a pandemic state of emergency declared within our state. So once that pandemic state of emergency was ended, uh, Iowa DHS, who implements SNAP here in our state, was not able to request that waiver for the extra allotment any longer. Mm-hmm. Are there other states that perhaps you know of that are are still receiving those extra SNAP benefits? Yes, I believe there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe you were you were listening to our first half hour, um, and many listeners, I have to believe, would be amazed to hear uh, about the plight of um, Iowans uh, who uh, have to make do with so little money, as little as twenty, thirty dollars per month. Uh, uh, how representative do you think that is? What is your reaction to what you heard in the first half hour? Yeah, I think sadly that's really quite common. You know, hearing the stories that uh, Tara and Beth and, um, you know, Cecilia shared, we work with Iowans every day in our programs who are wrestling with some of those issues of how do I make the money for food last until the end of the month and um, do so in a way that, you know, makes sense for my family and wrestling with the question of, you know, making the budget work, but also looking after the health goals that, you know, we have in our family is an incredibly complicated thing for people to try to do. And, uh, you know, in our programs, we talk about nutrition and making the most of our of our food dollar. And there are certainly some strategies that can help stretch your dollar. Um, oftentimes, the folks who join our classes do a lot of sharing with each other because, as you heard from the callers, they have a lot of experience with this. There's a lot of things they've tried. Uh, hearing the, the comment uh, about, you know, we have toddlers in our house and they waste food. That, of course, is super common and super frustrating when you're trying to operate on a very tight budget. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about young people, I think that was a one and a three-year-old in that case. But um, we have um, a summertime. School is out. So that uh, talk about the added difficulty, the challenge that offers to many, many families. Yes. So this is all kind of happening at a particularly challenging time. We saw the additional SNAP allotments uh, drop off in April, and we've seen food costs rising, and we're now entering the period where families who have children have a lot of extra food expenses. uh, Because though summer meals are available through a lot of school districts, it's not as convenient as accessing food right there where your child is at school, and they're not in every community. So families are having to pay for more meals every week than they might be accustomed to. So all of that adds up to a really challenging situation that just as our our caller from Iowa City who volunteers at the pantry has seen, it tends to then drive a lot of folks toward those more emergency-type resources like going to a food pantry. Mm -hmm. And and give us some tips, some common tips, uh, those listening who are trying to stretch their food dollars uh, but also have a nutritious meal. Uh, What are the first, uh, the the low-hanging fruit, if I can use a a food analogy there, um, uh, to do that successfully? Sure. You know, there are several things uh, that, that really make sense to help with those kinds of concerns. The first we would say is to, as best as possible, plan your meals. 
and do so by starting with foods you have. That will not only save you money not having to buy as much at the store, but also make sure that you're using food so it doesn't go to waste. Even if you can uh, plan one meal a day to start, if the idea of planning all of your meals for a week just sounds like too much, trying one meal a day, uh, that can help. As much as possible, cooking at home. And remembering that cooking at home does not have to be complicated, holiday-type meals. It can be very simple foods prepared at home. And if it is uh, something you, you know, would like doing, you can always cook once and eat twice, um, always making more than you need and storing it in the, the fridge for up to four days or freezing it um, so that you can cut down on the frequency with which you have to cook. Uh, those are things that, that can really help. Um, I think, you know, trying to not overcomplicate it. Food doesn't have to be complicated. A nutritious food really doesn't have to be complicated. Um, the nuts and bolts of nutrition and basic cooking can go a long way. And for people that maybe feel like they need a hand getting started with that, uh, if you Google the term Spend Smart, Eat Smart, you'll find a website that was created by Iowa State University Extension, and it has tons of how-to videos, meal planning templates, recipes, all of that sort of thing uh, to help you get started. Okay. Um, if you've just joined us, uh, we're talking with... Um, Christine Radek, um, Nutrition Education Program Manager at Iowa State University Extension. And uh, we want to add in the last few minutes uh, another guest, Matt Unger, is with us. He's the CEO of DMARC Food Pantry Network in Des Moines. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. We had a caller uh, from a volunteer at a food pantry in the eastern part of the uh, state uh, earlier in the program. You are uh, the CEO of the food pantry there in Des Moines. Uh, tell us about what it's been like at your food pantry um, over the last couple of years. Yeah, so our network is actually 14 food pantries across the greater Des Moines area. Uh, so we're inclusive of the city and all the suburbs. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were seeing record-breaking numbers where every month it was the busiest month we've ever had. And along came the pandemic, and initially we did see a boost, uh, especially with folks who had never come to a pantry before. But once these SNAP benefits came into place, we really saw a pretty steep drop-off um, because all those folks who had depended on our network, uh, they didn't have that need anymore. The SNAP program was working as it was designed to, and they were able to meet their food needs with the benefit that that provided. Mm -hmm. And what happened then earlier this year when those extra SNAP benefits went away? So we, we had hoped it would be a kind of gradual ramp up. And it, in March, we, we started seeing that because we had, we had been out there where it was starting to get out that this change was going to happen. And in March, we saw an 11% increase over the same month in the prior year. And then April happened. In April, we saw a 42% increase mm. over the prior April. To kind of put that in context, and the time when we were breaking records, we were seeing 8 to 10% increases over the month in the prior year. Um, so to see a number like 42% was, was pretty shocking. And looking at that, of, of the folks who had come to the food pantry network for the first time had never come before, compared to that same month in the prior year, we saw a 92% increase. 
Give us a sense of the the numbers you're dealing with there. You said 14 food pantries in the network there in Des Moines. How many people do you serve uh, with free food um, there in in a given week or month, or how do you measure that? Sure. So in April, we had fourteen over 14,000 unique individuals, almost 14,300 that came through the network. Uh, that was an increase over April of 20 or over March of 20 percent. This May, uh, we're still analyzing these numbers as the month just ended. But kind of the first blush, uh, we provided assistance to 15,400 unique individuals mm-hmm. across the metro. I think the most shocking number out of that is that a full one-third of those are children. Um, so kind of to, to the point Cecilia was making, when we hear responses like, this is a workforce problem, people just need to get back to work, well, 32% of these are, are children. They're not They're not even of working age. And then a, another 13% are retired seniors. So like, like Ron was saying, the folks who can work are working. This is not a problem of people not working. This is a problem of people not getting paid enough. Yeah, um, Matt, certainly. Uh, let, me, let me bounce back to Christine there as a nutritionist. Um, what impact does that make, especially on a, on a young person, not to have adequate nutritional food? Sure. That is a really interesting kind of conflict that sometimes, you know, you think about food insecurity and that that maybe would be, you know, leading to people being underweight, malnutrition, that sort of thing. But often when we see food insecurity in the United States, it's it's often more of a nutrition security where people maybe can access enough calories, uh, but not the diversity of food that they need for, you know, a healthy, vigorous life. And of course, if someone is uh, dealing with a chronic disease that doctors are asking them to consume a particular diet, that becomes very difficult to do. And there's also just a long-term effect of if early on in your life, your experience with food is really heavily marked by scarcity, Mm -hmm. it can cause you, you know, to make food decisions based on that. Uh, And that can sometimes be really challenging for your health. Uh, You know, you might be um, making decisions that that feel like you're kind of always in that state of anxiety and emergency, even maybe if you're in a time in your life when that um, urgency is eased a little bit. And so it it can have lifelong implications for someone's kind of relationship with food and potential for chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Unger of the DMARC Food Pantry Network in Des Moines. Walk us through, for those unfamiliar, how does a food pantry work? Um, if I find that I'm just not making ends meet for me, for my family, um, uh, every community um, uh, has a food pantry or some sort of assistance like yours, I, I assume. How does yours work if I'm in need? Sure. So in our food pantry network, we're kind of built on three pillars. First is we try to make our pantries as much of a dignified experience as we can that's as close to grocery shopping as we can make it. Um, We also really hold high the value of providing healthy foods because, you know, as you heard from Tara, you know, food is medicine. Uh, If you can have the right healthy foods, you can really change change your, your whole outlook. Um, so we provide a lot of fresh produce, make sure that all of our food is, is healthy and wholesome as much as we can. So when folks come in, they can come in uh, one, once per month at any of our network pantries and get sort of the full complement of staple items. 
Uh, it's it's about a three to four day supply of food, and then they can come back any time to get things like like uh, produce and perishables and maybe some of the food that we're rescuing from some places. Because uh, like like any of us, you know, you kind of do one big grocery shopping trip, and then as things come up and you need them, you know, you go grab milk, you go grab eggs, you get bread. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to we try to fit into that same rhythm of life for folks. Talk about how you get your food, how you're funded. Um, I know groceries donating to you. Uh, is that a constant stream of donations? Is it enough? It's it's tough. So we we partner with our food bank. We get you know about thirty percent of what we're able to move through our network from the food bank, which is a a huge support to us. We purchase about forty percent of the food that that moves out of our warehouse. Um, because we really try to keep that promise to folks that when you come to one of our pantries, you know, when you go to the store, you don't go to the peanut butter aisle and suddenly there's just no peanut butter. So we try to keep that guarantee that we're always going to have these things, these staple items available. And then the rest we get through food rescue, food drives, donations from manufacturers, um, from producers. We, we get whatever we can. Uh, but with with buying 40% of our food, we're feeling some of the same pinch as, as anybody. You know, those food costs are up. Transportation costs are up incredibly high. Um, so just to even move food to our warehouse from, from around the country is, is getting to be a much harder task. How reliable are your donors in, in grocery stores there, um, uh, the, the businesses, uh, to, to your food pantry network? I mean, they're a great support, uh, but but they're having some of the same issues themselves. You know, we we have seen some shrink in the food we've been able to rescue because I think some of the supply chain issues are, are hitting stores as much as they're hitting the rest of us. So for them to have that excess product to be able to donate, there's just less less of it, mm-hmm. and their costs are increasing too. So they're they're trying to to be as efficient as they can as well. Um, so it's it's really this sort of perfect storm that's hitting the whole food system at, from the top to bottom. Back to how your food pantry network uh, works, uh, Matt. Um, wh- when I come in, how many questions am I needing to answer? So the the third pillar of our network that I, that I didn't mention is uh, commitment to data. And so the first time you come to one of our food pantries, we ask about 13 or 14 questions. Um, a lot of that is just sort of contact information. You know, who are you? How many are in the household? Where do you live? Uh, but then we try to get a little bit about the background to understand why they're facing this issue in the first place. Because ultimately, the answer to solving food insecurity is is not just through providing food, but we have to get at the root cause issues that are causing people to be food insecure in the first place. And if you don't have that information, you can't have those conversations and can't talk to the policymakers about the things they're proposing and, and things they're not proposing that, that we need them to. Mm-hmm. Matt, quickly, we don't have much time left, but what would you say? What is uh, What are the chief policies that need to be changed? We need, we need to look at poverty as a whole. You know, we haven't done real meaningful work in this country on poverty since really President Johnson in the 60s and really taking a comprehensive look at how do we pull people out of poverty in this country. I think the SNAP program was was being effective. Is it just a matter of we need to fund these things at a certain level and prioritize that as a country? Um, but there's there's no shortage of, of impacts that, whether it's transportation, daycare, 
food uh, a lot of folks in poverty are struggling with. Mm -hmm. Let's go quickly to a caller before our hour ends. Kathy in Knoxville, Iowa, thank you for waiting. We'll have to ask you to make it short, but welcome. I'm wondering why no one ever uh, mentions that senior citizens are not getting a cost-of-living raise with their uh, regular Social Security checks with food or energy. That was taken out in 1996 by Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton. It's really sunk people into poverty if they've been on Social Security for a while. Every year it's a little bit of inflation, but now it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And that cost of living is not... Um, going to uh, food and energy is really something, and no one ever mentions that. Mm. Kathy, thank you for that aspect uh, from Knoxville. Uh, Matt, um, quickly before we end here, talk about seniors you have showing up in your, your network, a number of them. Yeah, you know, it's it's between 10 and 15 percent every month, uh, folks who are seniors who are struggling with this like, like anybody else. Um, they have a, you know, as your caller just mentioned, less access to some of these programs, and we see a lot of seniors that that say, "Hey, I'm not going to take the SNAP program. It's a lot of red tape. If I'm only going to get twenty dollars a month, is it worth all the hassle?" Um, because these, it's not like you just go online and click and say, "Hey, I, I would like this benefit," and then it happens. There's there's a lot to it to get that benefit. All right. Well, we've run out of time. Thank you very much uh, to our callers this hour. Uh, also to Matt Unger, CEO of DMARC Food Pantry Network in Des Moines. Uh, Christine Rodek, Nutrition Education Program Manager at Iowa State University Extension. Uh, Christine and Matt, thank you for really helping us understand um, the, the depth of, of this problem of food insecurity uh, in our state and how it's changed recently. Thank you both. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.